Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. You know, I, I've been um, been having a lot of awesome times with the Lord this week. Uh, thinking about life and how certain things in life, certain calls that we have in life, sometimes they seem sort of out there. Like, I don't know if the Lord's ever going to get to me. You know, I've I've had these moments in my life where I feel like I'm called to do something. I feel like that, that I'm supposed to be doing something. And most of the time, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing it somewhere else. You know, I mean, it, it just, it, there feels like that whenever God calls you to do something, it should be pretty amazing, right? I mean, it should be, woo, it's the Disney World effect. We're, we're supposed to go into something awesome. And you know, it's, it's kind of funny to me that um, as human beings in our flesh, we always revert to that. We always do this. And so the Lord was kind of talking to me this this uh, week, and I'd listened to part of a, a message from Andrew Womack, and I know Kenneth Hagin's done this, but a place called There, right? Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times when I've listened to some of these, it feels like that we're supposed to go to a place called There. We're supposed to go somewhere else. We're, there's supposed to be a place that we go to that God is going to do something, Right? And one of the things that the Lord kept putting on my heart, and Heather and I was talking about it, and Heather goes, what are you going to do this week? And I said, oh, I'm good. The Lord keeps putting this place called there on my heart, but I don't feel like it's the, the natural, the way that, that you know I've heard it taught before. I don't really know how I'm going to teach it. And Heather goes, well, I don't know. I, I just keep getting in my spirit that we're supposed to do this you know, we're supposed to at some point in time talk about Joseph and some of the things. And the Holy Spirit went boom on the inside of me. I mean, it was, it was automatic. It went off. And I said, I've never seen that before. I never have seen that before. So I meditated on that. And that's what we're going to have today. Is we're going to have a little bit of the uh, where is there And I'm going to talk about Elijah, and I'm going to talk about Joseph. Because they have a lot of parallels. I mean, definitely there's a lot of parallels. There's parallels of both of them were going into situations where there was going to be famine and drought, and there was going to be issues that were going on. But how they got there was completely and totally different. That's pretty much where the parallel ends, really, is that between the two of them, we see that, that Elijah was called by the Lord as a prophet, okay? And Elijah was a pretty amazing prophet, by the way. Like, Elijah, when he believed God, he really believed God. Like, he did some amazing things that we talk about all the time. But he also did some things that I see in my own life, And I think to myself, oh, Lord, help me. Because Elijah walked into situations and he could have done some amazing things that were outside of just destroying the the prophets of Baal. Because everybody knows about the prophets of Baal, right? I mean, everybody knows the stories about Elijah calling fire down 
and it just like it licked up the water. And we think to myself, oh, I want to be like Elijah. You know, the more I read about Elijah, I go, I want to be more like Joseph. Okay? And we're going to find out why I want to be more like Joseph, okay? Because Elijah had some issues. And he had some issues like I have issues. He had some fleshly things that he sat there and said, hey, I got I to deal with this. But we'll see if he did or not. So we see that there are two there's here. The Elijah went, into, went to Ahab as a free man in the power of the Holy Ghost. Ability to call down fire from heaven. And it says in 1 Kings 17, 2 through 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him and saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows from the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I will command the ravens to feed you there. So God called Elijah to go talk to Ahab. Y'all got to forgive me. I still got some Jesus in my teeth, okay? I'm to, to deal with. We did communion this morning for those listening on the podcast. But there's, there, is a, there is a point where after he went to Ahab and he said, hey, it's going to be a drought these many years and I'm the only one that can speak to these. The Lord has told me. And so you're going to see this drought. Well, then the Lord commanded him, go to the brook Cherith and I will feed you there. Now, I'm going to tell you what, okay? There, there's times in my life where I thought to myself, this would be awesome. God's going to feed me. But think about this. God's going to take a bunch of birds to bring bread to you and meat. I don't know about you, but if I said, hey, let me ask you guys, how many people, if I sent a carrier pigeon... To bring, to bring bread and meat to you openly, not packaged up because they didn't have any of that kind of stuff. Would you want that? Dad wants it. Oven bird. Oven bird. Well, these birds weren't cooked. These birds were full-blown ravens. And guess what? They probably went and ripped meat out of a carcass and brought it to him. I mean, think about this. Doesn't this sound appetizing? Doesn't this sound like the Lord is providing for us? I mean, I, I just want you to understand that Elijah is sitting here going, okay, I'm going to go to this brook chair. I'm going to drink of the brook and I'm going to eat from these ravens and they're going to bring me bread and meat. Okay, I will tell you this. There are times in my life where literally, figuratively, I felt like the Lord was, bring, was having birds bring me stuff and I go, I want steak from a plate. I mean, be, be honest with yourself. I mean, from a fleshly perspective, if you asked yourself the question, would you rather the Lord go and bless me this way or that way? And if this way is steak on a plate or carcass from a raven, which one would you want? Think about what your flesh would say to you. 
Lord, what are you doing to me here? Okay? But we see here that the Lord said, hey, there's going to be a drought. There's not even going to be people that are going to have this. This is going to be better than what you would have gotten if you had stayed with everybody else. You know, a lot of times we don't see that what we're getting from the Lord is better than what the people who don't have the Lord is getting. A lot of times we see our situation, we think, man, I got bills. Everybody's got bills. There's nobody that doesn't have bills. Go talk to to Elon Musk, Donald Trump. All of them have bills. None of them are paying money out of their own pocket. They're going to a bank. They play with somebody else's money. Everybody's got to have somebody writing a check to someone. There's things I've got to do in order to make things happen in my life. If we don't go to the store and go buy groceries, the kids don't eat. I would. I'd go find some food, but the kids probably wouldn't eat. Sorry, kids. Y'all aren't going to eat tonight. But that's what I'm trying to say here is that life happens in our place called there. Life happens in our place called there. And what God is trying to get to you is better than what you would have had without him. So we see Elijah was a free man. God was talking to him openly. And God went and put him in this broke cherith, right? But Joseph had a different, completely different, completely opposite experience in his place called there. And it says in Genesis uh, 39, 1 and 2, it says, Now Joseph has been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So his there was Egypt. His there was a place of slavery. Potiphar bought him on a slave block. In verse 2 it says, The Lord was with Joseph and he was successful or a prosperous man. And he was in the house of the master of the Egyptians. So I want you to understand this. Joseph was a prosperous man on a slave block. Now back in these days, if you're on a slave block, they strip you naked. They want to know what they're buying. Okay? He had no possessions. He had nothing. In fact, he was so poor that they actually have to give you clothes, especially when you were sold like this. So you have absolutely nothing. And the Lord said, he's a prosperous man. See, it doesn't even make sense, especially in our flesh. We think to ourselves, oh, I got to have my iPhones and my iPads and my a big screen TV and I got to have the house and I got to have the, the minivan and I got I've got to do all the different things that you know the I got to have the the yuppie uh, lifestyle in order to say God you you have blessed me and I'm a prosperous man in you but you know what Joseph 
He was a slave, had not one stitch of clothing that he even owned. And you know what? The Lord said he was a prosperous and successful man. Two different theirs with two different idealisms and two different ways to look at life. And we're going to see that even in these two different avenues that the Lord took these two different men, that there was two different thought patterns. And we're going to find out that it's probably opposite of the way we would have thought it would have been, right? So I'm going to kind of do some parallelisms here between uh, Elijah and uh, between Joseph. And I, I just want to kind of show you some of the, the calls and obedience between Elijah and Joseph. And, you know, of course, the drought was, uh, was told to Elijah to go talk to Ahab. And it says in Kings 17.1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord our God lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except my word. So he got this really great calling. I get to go tell a king what the heck he's going to do and what he's not going to do. I get to tell the king, without my word, you don't get any more rain. Think about how powerful. I mean, that would be, I'd be like, woo, the Lord told me, hey, Y'all don't get your next paycheck until I tell y'all you're going to get it. Man, that'd make me feel good. And you guys would be going, oh, wait a minute. That ain't fair. But see, he was given a calling. And he had to fulfill this calling. And just saying there was a drought was not the calling, by the way. Because he said that the Lord said that except by my word, see, I really don't believe that the Lord took the rain away. I believe there was a drought, naturally. I believe there was going to be a drought. I believe there was going to be a, 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 a time where there was going to be no water that was going to be around, dew nor rain. And that the Lord was really trying to make Ahab realize, hey, I can make this better for you if you will just listen to the Lord. And it's, it's several years. We don't really know exactly how many years between this time and between the time that Elijah did. But a lot of people think it's three years. There's a lot of, there's a lot of speculation and correlation that, hey, Elijah's uh, time and the, the time of the, the drought was somewhere around the same timing would be for Jesus. That it was a, a type and a shadow, right? That we lived in a dark and dry place just like the valley of dry bones and that Jesus came to give us that moisture to come back and to bring life back into us just like the rain would bring life back into the land well that's I'm, I'm going to go with that okay we'll, we'll just say that that's the way it happened but as you can see God said hey during this time frame I'm going to take care of you Elijah because it's going to be bad for a lot of people it's going to be bad for a lot of people. And we're going to see if Ahab, because back then, the king was the one that if he wasn't following God, it didn't matter what the people was doing. If the king didn't follow God back in this time, then guess what? You didn't have a blessed kingdom. 
because it was a top-down approach. Everything was top-down at this time. You didn't have Jesus, so it was all based upon covenants. It was all based upon the anointing, and Ahab was not anointed to be king. God did not anoint Ahab to be king. Ahab took over because of his father. And he married Jezebel. You know, there's not just a reason why we call people Jezebels when they, you know, paint themselves up or they do something really bad. No, this person, Jezebel, was a bad person. Like Bel, Beelzebub. She was a worshiping high priestess of Bel. And see, we, we need to understand this because we see this throughout the rest of history that Baal is actually the, is correlated with Jesus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that even the Pharisees came back and would say, hey, you're casting out devils based upon Beelzebub. See, this becomes a fixture in, in Israel. They go back and forth between this other God called Baal over and over and over again because of Jezebel. You, you hear the name in her name? She was a high priestess. Baal made an imprint. Baal made an imprint on her. Baal made an imprint on Israel from that point all the way until Jesus Christ. See, we have to understand that history continually repeated itself. And all these people, God was trying to weed out Baal from the people's hearts. He was trying to weed out other gods from people's hearts. And we, we, uh, what I want you to know about that is, is that when God did this, he wasn't doing it because he was mad at Israel. He was doing it because he was trying to get Israel away from the wickedness of Jezebel and Beelzebub. Because if he didn't, then the whole country would have went towards Baal. It would have stayed towards Baal. And then Jesus would not have been able to be born through the line of Israel. That's what God was constantly fighting for. That was what he was trying to get people to is understand the Messiah is coming. It's going to be a different covenant when we get the Messiah here. You got to understand this. And this is the reason why this is important is because God wasn't being mean to the people. He was actually trying to weed out false doctrines, false gods. So the provision for one, as we know, um, in 1 Kings 17, 5 through 7, and it says, and so he went as the, uh, as the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flowed into the Jordan. Then ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there he had no rain in the land. So there was a time period. We don't know how long that was. More than likely, I mean, drought being what it was, they said this was probably a couple, couple months. I mean, we're, we're not really talking about a long period of time. This is only a small amount of time that he was trying to get him somewhere else, away from Ahab, away from everyone. And so then God saw that there was these issues that was going on, and there were people that actually needed help. 
And so um, in 1 Kings 17, 15 through 16, God told Elijah, go into Zepharath and go and, and find a woman at the gate that is picking up sticks. So he does. He finds this woman. He asks the woman, he said, hey, he said, I want you to go and make me a cake. She said, and get me some water. She said, well, I don't have any. The last little bit that I have, I was going to feed my son and myself and we were going to die. And he tells her, he said, hey, make that, bring it to me. And it says here in 1 Kings 17, 15 through 16, it says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. We have to understand that God was actually trying to get this woman to a place of being able to eat during these years. Because there was... Famine was hitting everywhere. It wasn't just one place. It wasn't just Israel. This was everywhere. And see, God brought Elijah to this woman because she feared the Lord. So on the other side of this, if you look at Joseph's calling and his obedience, he had a dream and he went and told his family about it. And that's what started it all. That's how he got to the place that he was at in, in Israel. He went and told his family, hey, let me tell y'all what dream I had last night. And he goes, in Genesis 37, 6 and 7, he said, he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, uh, there we were, all of us, binding sheaves, bundles of grain in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose. So this bundle stood up, you know, and indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Oh, that went over well. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, you know, I just said, hey, whatever I do is greater than what you do. And if I was probably all the rest of the brothers, I'd be over there kicking his tail too. <laughs> I mean, he was probably a whiny brat, but kid, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. He was the one that, that dad liked. I mean, you know, I mean, I, look, I have a sister. I know what it's like to have a little whiny butt brat sister that all she does is mom and dad just, you know, leave her alone. She's great. You're bad. She's good. I mean, that that was the way it was the whole time I, I came up was, you know, oh, oh mom's going to whip me. See? See what happened? No, but, but essentially, he goes and tells this to his brothers. Now, I've heard people say, <laughs> I've heard people say, you know, we shouldn't throw our pearls before the swine. Well, I got news for you. Joseph was going to Egypt. It didn't matter. He was going to tick them off one way or the other, and this was just the way that it happened. So they go and they throw him in a pit. They said he's going to die. Benjamin comes along and says, hey, guys, I can't get behind this. Let's sell him off. Let's go tell dad. Let's, let's take his coat of many colors, or some people say long sleeves. The, the whole thing about the long sleeves is, is that it meant he didn't work. <laughs> so if people walked around with, with a long coat on, it meant that they were pretty much exempt from work. 
So I've heard that before, and which would go along with the story because I think that Joseph, for the most part, didn't do anything. And the brothers were having to do it all. And he was the favored child. But you know, this is the funny thing is, is that they sell him off to Potiphar. He becomes the slave. You see, what we have to understand is that after he becomes the slave, and yes, after Potiphar's wife hits on him, takes his cloak, goes and tells everybody, and he goes into prison. You know, I probably would have given up by then. I'd probably said, heck, that whole sheave dream was pretty bad. I don't, I don't know what happened there. I mean, think about it. My sheave doesn't look like it's ever going to stand up and my brothers are going to be around. I, don't, I, I really don't get it. Lord, where is that bundle of grain going to come from? Because I've been a slave. I've been in prison. You know what? He would go into Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him. He'd run the house. He went into prison. The Lord was with him. He ran the prison. You know, it doesn't mean that he had a great time. I mean, think about this. You're an Israeli in an Egyptian prison. I'm pretty sure until everybody else got on board with it, you were, you know, that you were favored of the Lord, per se. I'm pretty sure it was tough times. And you know, one of the things is the Lord never forgot him because he never forgot the Lord. In fact, even when the baker and the wine taster and all these other people came into prison, which I'm going to tell you what, the Pharaoh seemed like he just would get his panties in a wad every once in a while and just throw his people into prison. So I don't know how well I would have been trying to get to Pharaoh, but Joseph was okay with getting to him. But after he had, he had told him all the good things to, to the wine taster and then the bad things to the baker, I mean... The winemaker forgot about him. So it was like two years later that this happens where Pharaoh has a dream. And we find out that here's his dream as he's telling it to Joseph. Genesis 41, 25 through 30 says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh are one. It's one dream. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads uh, are seven years and the dreams are one. And then the seven thin and ugly cows, can I have those ugly cows, <laughs> which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads, uh, blight of the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of plenty will come throughout all of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgot in the land of Egypt and the famine will be depleted in the land. So what we have to understand here is that, you know, back, back during these days, I'm sure there was lots of famine. I'm sure there was a lot of times. I mean, a couple of years ago, the Lord never told me about this, but we actually had a drought and it killed all of my grass. It killed my, my bushes out front. It killed everything. 
And I spent a lot of money trying to put it back out before I sold the house in Gardendale to move down here. You know, that drought completely wiped it out. And then the people who bought my house in Gardendale completely and wiped it out without the drought. <laughs> so I didn't even have to go put the stuff back. Idiot. <laughs> I should have just left it alone. But the drought itself was coming. The Lord was just saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. You might want to prepare for it. And guess who could prepare for it? Joseph. Pharaoh said, hey, since you've told me these things and since you have been so faithful to your God, and you've been faithful to me to tell me about these things, I'm going to make you ruler over this whole project. So he became a project manager, if you will, for, for the drought. Hey, we got these seven years coming up. Let's store it away. Seven more years are coming back. There's going to be famine. Well, guess what? After those seven years of good where he had all the storehouses, guess what happened? His brothers came knocking. Who had the, was standing in the middle as the sheave that was standing up? It was Joseph. Joseph was fulfilling his dream. Just he had, to, he had to go through some stuff. But you know, the funny thing about Joseph is, is that he didn't let anything bother him. He didn't let all the little things that happened to him. I say little things. Being sold into slavery and going into prison, that's not a little thing. But you know what? To run a whole country, because then Pharaoh said, hey, I love you so much because you've done a good job here. I'm not even going to worry about it. I actually think that a lot of these things, because you even see this with like Daniel and, and some other times where, where other kings took over Israel, they, they go, man, you Israelites, y'all are pretty good. I'm going to go on vacation for the next few years. I'm just going to give you the whole country. Just run it. You, you guys just take care of it. I'm going to sit here and drink wine. That's all I'm going to do. This is what happened to Joseph, is that he became basically the, the overseer for all of Egypt. It says here in Genesis 41, so all the countries came to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was so great. And as we know, they went back and forth. They, he he uh, asked Pharaoh for a, a, some land. Goshen ended up becoming that land. Um, they were all sheep herders. Is, Israelis were sheep herders. Egyptians hated sheep. They hated them. So that's why Goshen and where they lived was away. They never brought them into the city. It's because they hated the sheep. You know, I, I think about this that a lot of times I feel personally, so I'm just going to talk about me, I personally feel like sometimes that I'm away from a lot of the people that I think I need to be ministering to. I feel like that my life and their life are completely two different lives. And when I go try to go into their city to try to do things, they revolt. Whoa, you're one of those sheep herders. You're one of those guys that, that you deal with sheep. And sheep herders, they've got poop under their nose. You know, a lot of times Christianity gets its nose turned down 
because we do tend to be around a lot of people who are actually looking for the Lord. And when people are looking for the Lord, that means that they've said, hey, I'm no longer God. I'm giving my life over to God. Well, that makes a lot of people feel unsafe for some reason, especially in their flesh. And we have to understand that sometimes we have to go through a couple of things before there's moments. And we were just talking about this today, where there's moments where, there's, where there are people that need to have a touch, a connection with the Lord. And see, that was what Joseph was waiting for. He was waiting for his moment to have a connection with the Lord so that he could bring other people like Pharaoh, so he could bring all of his family into that area of abundance. On the other hand, Elijah could not quite trust God. He constantly went between these times of, of trust and untrust. In Kings uh, 17, uh, 17 through 20, it says, Now it happened after these things, the son and the woman um, who was the owner of the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What, it, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come here to bring uh, my sins to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him up to the upper room where, where he stayed. And he laid on his, his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy on this widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Wow. I mean, that, that's a pretty harsh statement. I mean, he basically is saying, God, you brought this on him. Without, I mean, without any justification, without any understanding, Elijah comes with a negative connotation towards God saying, hey, you did this. And we find out that the Lord heard his prayer and helped him. And he brought the son back. But I, I want to kind of stay in this vein because we see that this becomes, this becomes Elijah's mode of operandi, if you will. He constantly listens to the Lord and then he doesn't trust what he says fully. So after the, so when the Lord told him to go tell uh, Ahab about the famine, that he was going to release the waters and that there was no longer going to be a famine, before he got to Ahab, he found Obadiah. And basically, Obadiah says, hey, or, or Elijah asks um, Obadiah to go to Ahab and say, come see Elijah. Well, Obadiah said, hey, you're, you're basically giving me a death sentence. Because if I tell him that I've been talking to you, he's going to put two and two together and realize that I'm the operative in here that I'm against what's going on with Jezebel. Because Jezebel went out and killed all of the known prophets, right? But Obadiah went and got 100 prophets that were, they actually had prophet school. I don't know if y'all know this. In fact, later on you find out Elijah actually made a, an ax blade swim. 
you know, because they were out there chopping wood, having a good time. And the axe blade come off the handle and went into the water. And Elijah goes walking by and they go, hey, all the prophets in this prophet school is going, we borrowed this thing. So I'm sitting there going, man, Israel was a really interesting place. You had a regular school, then you had the prophet school where all these people hung out. I mean, it was pretty amazing. I wish, I mean, I wish there was things like this. You had regular school and then, hey, you're a prophet, so you go over here to this school. But this is what we find out is that Obadiah tells Elijah, hey, there's a hundred prophets. And we can see that in uh, 1 Kings 18, 13, and it says, uh, it was not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a K, and fed them bread and water. So, you know, Elijah goes, okay, go tell him anyway. It's actually pretty abrupt. Elijah's like, I don't want to hear about these people you put in a cave. They're, they don't matter anything to me. And then we find out, ah, Ahab shows up. We're going to have a showdown. Go bring your prophets of Baal over here and let's, let's, see, let's see which one are able to, to call fire down. And we find out that in the midst of all this, he's making a big proclamation to Ahab. And in 1 Kings 18, 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone and left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. That was a lie. It was absolutely a lie. He just heard there's a hundred prophets in a cave that I've been taking care of. And Elijah says, I don't want to hear about those men. They're not prophets. They're not like me. I alone am the last one. I'm going to go against these 400, you know. But, you know, he does. He takes them out. Now, we never find out that the Lord said, go take these, these prophets out. See, I think the rain would have been good enough. I think all the people of Israel would have just liked to have had rain. I mean, think about it. Before he actually did what the Lord said. He went and called fire down from heaven and he hacked these prophets of Baal up. It was a good show. It was great and all that. I'm not saying that was the problem. I like the story. I like knowing that prophets of Baal all died. That was great. But the, the problem is, is that God told him what? Go tell Ahab that the drought is over and rain is coming. Well, guess what? The outcome that Elijah wanted was a revival. And he ended up getting Jezebel say, I'm going to kill you. Do you know that after he killed those 400 men, he went to Jezreel. The angel came down, fed him, told him to go on. He didn't even go back into Jerusalem where he was supposed to have went. He went to the caves. And he sat there and he pouted. And it says here, it says uh, in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10, and it says, And there, when he went into the cave, and he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? God 
had to ask him a question. What did I tell you to do? What are you doing here, boy? I mean, what is it that you're supposed to be doing right now? And so Elijah says, I have been very zealous for you, Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I want, to, I want you to understand something. You want to talk about stupid, okay? If God himself comes to you, sends angels to feed you and do all this, it doesn't matter if there's 7 billion people on the, on the earth with AK-47s that are coming to my house. They ain't touching me. The God of the universe. And Elijah... What did he say? Hey, I'm alone. God asked him, even took him into the, even took him into the, the cave or into this, this open area and showed him the fire and showed him the wind and showed him all these things. And he said, but the power is in the still small voice. See, that is a great lesson for us today is that the power of God is in that still, small voice. You know, when God said, go, let it rain, if he'd walked up to Ahab and said, the Lord God Almighty says that rain will happen, what do you think would have happened if the rain had started coming down? All those people would have known that the Lord God Almighty was on their side and that the rain was coming from him. You know, it's good to have those, woo, got those awesome times with the Lord. We're, we're doing some really awesome things. But you know the still small voice one to another as we're having those, those times with people, those are some of the most powerful. You know, all these revivals that you've seen, people getting healed and all that, they said that it's a, I call it the Pareto rule. The Pareto rule is 80-20. 80% of the people that would go and get healed in some of these places would, would lose their healing. You know why? Because they went back in the world and the world kept telling them they're sick. There would only be about 15 to 20% that would actually say, yeah, I, I, I stayed, kept my mind on the Lord. I kept, I kept my mind on his promises and I did those things. When you went and looked at the A.A. Allens and you looked at all of these other people, because we have a will. And as we can see, Elijah had a will as well. And his will kept saying, I don't really trust that, Lord, you've got it all figured out yet. I've got to do it myself. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, though, Joseph would find favor with the Lord. And he was content to following the plan. In fact, Genesis 39, 4 through 6, it says, Joseph found favor in the sight and served him. And then he made him an overseer of the house, talking about Potiphar, and that he put all of his authority for Joseph. Verse 5 says, So it was from that time that he made him an overseer over all the house and all that he had. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And he blessed the Lord, or I'm sorry, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. 
So this was, I mean, Joseph's appearance, his ability to be where he was supposed to be, being content with his there, caused people around him to be changed. It was a blessing to other people. Sometimes our presence, when we just do what the Lord told us to do, where we're at there, those are the things that, man, it just starts blessing other people. The blessing of the Lord just starts blessing others. We just start having a continuation of blessings that just keep coming from this. Now, Satan's always trying to, trying to get at us. And he did. He got to Joseph a couple of times here. You know, because at the end of this verse, it says, thus he left all that, uh, Potiphar left all that he had had in Joseph's hands. And he did not uh, know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So Joseph could have like, I mean, Joseph had the money. Joseph had everything. Now, at the very end of this, we see, now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. This is where it starts turning bad. Because Joseph was handsome, and Potiphar's wife said, hey, you got everything he's got. I want to be a part of yours too. Woo! So, you know, Joseph said, nope, not going to do this to my master. And he gets thrown into prison. So when he gets thrown into prison, we see that in prison he found favor. Genesis 39, 21 through 22, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison. I, I've never, I, I'll tell you this. Number one, I don't want that job. But number two, I mean, that right there was like, you got the keys to let people in and out of this place. I mean, you now become the, the, the prison owner. You become the prison keeper. So, you know, even though he was wrongfully accused, he still trusted. Even though he was in prison, he still trusted. You know what trust and faith really looks like? It means that when the Lord tells you to do something, you just keep living life in your place called there. You know, I'm here in Alabaster, Alabama. I'm in my place called there because the Lord told me to come down here. Do you know that every time the Lord tells me to do something, that's what I go and do. Now, sometimes I act like Elijah. Sometimes I act like Joseph. <laughs> but there's a lot of times where I'm sitting there going, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's the next step? Why am I here? And I don't hear anything. So then I start trying to figure out how to call fire down from heaven. I want y'all to get a hold of that. Because you know what? I don't need to call fire down from heaven. I need to do what the Lord tells me to do. I need to do every single thing that He tells me to do. And when He's ready to tell me something else to do, that's when I'm going to go do it. Now, I've got lots of people that I've got influence with and that I have, I have promises that I need to keep with them. But see, I can get so back-ended into trying to call fire down from heaven. Oh, Lord, if you'll just let us have a building... Oh, Lord, if you'll just bring 100 people. Oh, Lord, if you'll just do this or if you'll just do that, give me these people. Give me these things. Lord, he's not saying call fire down from heaven. He's saying do what you're doing 
And when I tell you to go do something else, that's when we're going to go do it. And those are the things that we have to do is every single thing with a good attitude and a good heart. You know, we can be like Elijah and we can forfeit our call. And I'm coming to the end here. 1 Kings 19, 15 through 9, it says, The Lord said to him, Go and return your way into the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint uh, Hazel, the king of Syria, and also anoint Jehu, uh, son of Nisham, the king over Israel. And then Elisha, the son of Snapfat, snap fat. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to snap the fat off of me. Um, of, of Abel, Moan, and you shall anoint him the prophet in your place. God wasn't done, but Elijah was. Mm-hmm. Now I want you to understand something. It says right here, and this is very, very much the way our flesh works, okay? And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of uh, Hazel and Jehu will, will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all who have, whose knee has not bowed to Baal. So he wasn't alone. There was 100 prophets, and then there were 7,000 just regular people. So, so every mouth that has not kissed him, verse 19, so, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Snapfat. So I, I want you to understand this, that Elijah was supposed to go do this in order. Who was he supposed to go find first? Hazel. Then Jehu, and then Elisha. What did he do? He said, you know what? I'm going to skip to the end and just leave it for him to do. How many people have ever left a job and you're given two-week notice and you were basically just saying, hey, I'm going to, who's the next guy? Okay, this is where all the stuff is and there's there's the break room. For the next two weeks, don't call me. That's the way that Elijah did this. Elijah said, hey, there's the break room. There's the bathrooms. Don't call me. And he spends the next several, probably like two years, just sitting around doing nothing. They would, every once in a while, he would take his, you know, take his cloak and he would hit the water and they'd walk across the Jordan and they would go to the other side and go stay over there for a little while. And then, uh, you know, but they never did any of the other stuff. As we can see, you know, basically it took 40 years. Now I want you to understand that God anointed these men over Ahab for a purpose. Because if he had anointed the kings that he had asked them to anoint, people's lives would have been better. You know that sometimes we end up seeing suffering in the world because certain people did not do their calling. They were in their place called there and they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. Guess what? Elisha was never even relayed the message from Elijah about going and doing that. 
It took 40 years for Elisha to finally walk in. The Lord said, hey, you're supposed to anoint these people. See, this is what we have to understand is that people on earth mean something. See, we're not just waiting around for God. We're doing the thing God told us to do and we're doing it with people and those things are important because without doing those things, people miss opportunities. People miss the opportunities. And what you have is you have suffering because of it. You have people who never get to the point where they need to be because, hey, I'm just having to figure it out until God's able to get the right people in place. In 2 Kings, you know, it says, and then it happened as they continued to walk and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. So I want you to understand here is that Elijah anointed Elisha. He hung out a little bit. And then one day God just came and he took Elijah. Now, we know that, you know, Elisha ended up doing like five, ten times the amount that Elijah did. Because Elisha had a better heart. You know, God can do a lot with a good heart. With a good heart of belief. You know, we see that. Especially in Joseph. Because Joseph fulfilled his call. You know that Joseph fulfilled a generational call that went for, I think it was 14 generations. His one, his acts of obedience and fulfillment of his calls basically set Israel up to where they could be a nation at the end of it. In Genesis 45, 9 through 11, And it says here, hurry up and go to my fathers and say, thus saith your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over Egypt. Come down, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me. And you shall, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five more years of famine. So Joseph didn't even know, I don't think he did, about Abraham and about God and about some of the the things that God was calling Abraham to in the covenant. Maybe he did. But I, I will say this, that prophecy and a promise was fulfilled by doing this. A man's simple act of saying, you know what, I'm not going to let my circumstances create this, create pressure in me to give up. It fulfilled some things. Genesis 15, uh, 12 through 14. You can go read all these verses because they're pretty awesome and you have to see them in this context. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Certainly that your descendants will be stranger in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will be be afflicted 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. See, you had 60 people that went into Goshen 
Well, there was these things called the Amorites. And the Amorites were basically, uh, were basically um, it's exactly what they think the Philistines were. Philistines wasn't one people. The Philistines was a groups of people. Well, the Amorites were a group of people. And they were like the Hittites and the Jesuits and the Mazites and the, the you know, Idiots and all these ites that were out there were warring people. And it says here, it says, it says that the that basically they had to go into Genesis 15, 15 says, Now for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. But the 14 generations, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites are not yet complete. See, what happened was, is that Israel had 60 people go into Goshen. They came out 4 million people. They had 4 million people to deal with the Amorites. The Amorites also built cities for them. And that's why he said, when you came out, you'll have great possessions. You will take over cities. You will have the milk and honey of the land. So some other things had to be done, had to be built. And, and God gave them great promises, not poverty, but he gave them great opportunity in possession. And see, under Egypt, they were able to be sheltered, educated, they grew. They grew so much that it actually, the last, like, 70 years. Do you know that really over the 300 year, three, 350 years or so of their time there, it wasn't that bad. It was when an Assyrian king basically came and, and took over um, for the old set of kings that it became bad for the Israelites. So a lot of people think, hey, the 400 years was a, was a, a really long period of time for them to be slaves. They really weren't slaves for that long. Now, I mean, 70, 80 years is probably a long time for most people, but that's, that's really how long it was. The other part, they just grew and they were sheltered. In fact, Egypt is called by a lot of people the great incubator. You know, God's trying to incubate us. He puts us in places so that we can learn. I remember God telling me to go to Bible school. I did not want to go to Bible school. Heather knows, God knows, everybody knows. I didn't want to go to Bible school. But you know what? I had to learn. I had to have some things grow on the inside of me. So when I came out, I had the ability to go to places like Jacksonville and to go to north, or the north campus up in Mount Olive and do pastoring up there. You know, the Lord took me through a lot of things for technology back when, before I became a cybersecurity engineer like I am. You know, the God takes us through steps. And each step is a part of his plan. And a lot of times we want to jump steps. We want to take five and 10 and 15 step leaps. But you know what? Look at the steps. Love the steps. Stay in the steps until it's time for a new step. Because guess what? You can be like Elijah where you take a bunch of steps and you don't fulfill your calling. You end up forfeiting your call because you just won't do it. God knew right then. He's just not going to do it. I'm going to have to get Elisha. But you know what? If I had to be between these two men, Elisha and Joseph, you know what? 
A lot of times in my life I've been like Elijah, but I'm striving to be Joseph. Amen. Did y'all learn something today? Amen. 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 I'm surprised God didn't.